Super Talk Mississippi media production. If you're feeling anxious about your investments with all the economic volatility and chaos in Washington, tune in to Super Talk Jackson on Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. and Sundays from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. for Element Wealth Radio with Jeremy Nelson. Learn more at myelementwealth.com. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. I know I've said this before, but I haven't said it to my interviewee yet. So today, this is my penance. Because for so many years, like the song goes, I want to talk about me, 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 me. I want to talk about me. Was always the case because, well, I am the artist. So consider today me asking for forgiveness from today's guest as he probably had to stomach and endure a lot of me when we wrote recorded and just hung out this very very talented songwriter musician and pal on with us is a wonderful soul that was born to do it with unimaginable talent to boot his work has been nominated for grammy and dub awards and most recently the nashville songwriters hall of fame and to watch him play guitar is like oh my goodness he can do it all and has a mind as mysterious sometimes as Almighty herself. So please say hey to my good friend, hit songwriter, my man Bob Regan. What's going on, Bob? I'm just uh, sitting up here in Nashville, uh, looking out on the looking out on the hills and talking to you down in there. There's no big muddy from where I sit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, with writing with me all the time, muddy was always on my mind. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Hey, so Bob, so uh, what? What have you moved since uh, since I left eight nine years ago? Uh, yeah, I've moved a couple times. I think you you were down to my house in Brentwood, maybe at some point. Yeah, um, I moved uh, back closer into town. Uh, it's, I like it pretty well. I moved into this. Nashville's exploded for those of you that don't know. Right. Uh, and, and neighborhoods that were no go zones are now the hot place to live, and I'm living in one of those. <laughs> I love, so East Nashville, sort of. Well, actually, this is called West Nashville, a place called The Nations, huh. which you would never go to in a million years, except five years ago. All of a sudden, a couple of brave souls, myself included, said, let's buy, let's buy one of these new houses over here. And now it's wow. when you get up here next time, I'll give you a tour. It'll blow your mind. Yeah, I mean, I know I've, I've heard like there's no Sylvan Park anymore. You know, the restaurant, the meeting three. And it's now, a, a, I guess, a some sort of Spanish restaurant or Mexican restaurant. I'm going, what happened? You know? <laughs> uh, I, I, oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there's a little bit of the old Nashville still exists, but you gotta you got to look for it. Yeah, well, I love it. We're on with Bob Regan. Hey, uh, so, Bob, I, I just, just coincidentally, I saw yesterday that the average family moves 11 times in their lifespan. And I said, 11? That's a lot. 
And I started and, and to different houses and homes and up and, you know, I think it was an Allstate commercial or something. So anyway, um, it, that's interesting. I started counting. I'm, I'm at five or six, so I'm on my way, but can't imagine wanting to pack any more boxes ever again, ever. Yeah, but I mean, that's a, <clears throat> that's a recent phenomenon. In previous generations, I mean, families might have moved once or twice. A lot of people just stayed put. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, no longer. Yeah, interesting. It's interesting. All right. So, Bob, you grew up, were you born in Tahoe, or that area? Well, I was actually born uh, about uh, 90 miles from there, uh, Sacramento, which is the capital of California. And uh, my dad was a bank manager, so we did move around. Uh, but I ended up, I call Lake Tahoe home. Uh, right. That's where I spent uh, like junior high and high school. And, um, so that's that's what feels like home to me. All right. So did your dad or mom play any musical instruments? I mean, where, where did... Uh you know where did where did it all happen for you i mean when did you go yeah i want to do that i don't it was a very slow gradual process for me it wasn't like oh my god i you know i've got to have a career in the music business that was a complete accident i just uh nobody really played and sung in my family uh but i got a, like everybody else i heard the beatles and kind of hmm. you know had my the, my head exploded and i bought a cheap guitar and a beatles songbook and just sat in my bedroom and worked my way through those songs, uh, and I, you know, I didn't I didn't have any grand plan other than I liked to play guitar and try to figure stuff out. So, you know, it just was very very gradual. I started playing, you know, little high school gigs, and then I got to college and started playing fraternity gigs, and then I graduated from college and couldn't bear the thought of going to grad school. <laughs> so uh, we had a band that was up and running. So. I said, well, let's let's play with the band for a couple of years, and I'll go to law school or something. Yeah. And uh, that, that was probably almost 50 years ago, and I'm still still waiting. Talking to Bob yeah. Regan, hit songwriter. Bob, so you used to play saxophone, right? You used to tell me some stories back in the day. <laughs> oh, I was a I was an awful sax player. Uh, but there's something about that instrument, and I, I didn't learn. I, I can't read music or anything. I just like the sound of saxophone. And so I bought one one day at a music store, and uh, just started honking away, uh, and I learned four or five songs on that. I could, you know, play Honky Tonk and Night Train and uh, the sax solo in Funky Broadway by Wilson Pickett, and people would fall out, even though I'd practice guitar endlessly. <laughs> I'd do a solo, and it was like, eh, you know, that's okay. But then I'd grab one big note on the saxophone and hold it for eight bars, and people would throw babies in the air. I went, wow, that's interesting. But it's... Uh, I, uh, I I stopped playing sax. I was never never that good. The, the one thing I I found at least was the the farther up the ladder I made it in the music business, the more lesser skill sets have got to kind of fall by the wayside. <laughs> why, why, so how 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 so? Well, I mean, I was a pretty good guitar player, and oh, again, yeah. I didn't have any grand ambitions. But I was a recording artist in California. Uh, but I realized by doing that that my songs were better than I was. So I gave up on the artist thing. And then once I got out of the you know Central Valley where I did all my club gigs and got down to L.A. and got in the studio with some, you know, mind-blowingly good guitar players, it was like, oh, maybe I don't, you know. So it, it just, I finally figured out after many years that my best day as a songwriter was going to do me a lot more good than my best day as a guitar player or, my, or as a singer. See, I, so, I beg to differ. Yeah. Uh, well, I've obviously I love hearing you sing. I, I love I love sitting in the room with 
you guys and because it just comes from such an honest place so i've always been a fan more of that than give me a singer that can hit a thousand notes and move the i mean you know what i mean it's just to me it's more about hearing somebody sing so conversational that it always it always just knocked me out i'm still knocked out about that and so but take me so you you talk about being an artist which i mentioned in my so i didn't know that you attempted the artist thing or or and most and most of our songwriter pals did. We know that they came to sure. town. They had a deal or something and all that. But but seemed to want to stay home and not get on the road. I've loved the road, within reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, until it was taking me away three hundred days. Until I had kids and wanted to yeah. actually watch them grow up. That's when I had to realize I had to find some sort of balance. Um, yeah. And and it'd be great if you could just be zapped there on stage. You know, meet the people. You know, like you said, kiss the babies and be zapped back in your bed, you know, but that doesn't happen. So there's travel that <clears throat> takes up most of the time. You know, you're on stage for an hour, hour and a half, and, and you travel for a day and a half. So it's it's an interesting... Well, well that's... See, didn't anybody tell you to buy a Learjet? Steve? Yeah, you yeah, I worked on that. I worked on it. I'm still <laughs> doing it. I'm, I've been yeah. building it. That's why I moved to Mississippi. I got friends who crop dust, and so their version uh-huh. of a Lear is a little different than what you just mentioned, <laughs> but I think it's yeah. going to fly. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, I, yeah. I mean, that was the other thing. By the time I actually, you know, moved to Nashville, I had two little kids, and I was I was just not going to go on the road. Uh, but you know, as people will tell you, the, the the money you make when you're sleeping that that's what'll you know take care of you in the long run. So, as a songwriter, you can make money when you're sleeping. You're right. That that that, that was kind of appealing too. But I loved man. If I could have, if there had been a market for me as an artist. No, I don't think too many people start off thinking, "Gee, I want to sit in a little room and on Music Row uh, for you know eight hours a day and write songs for somebody else to sing right. uh, and have them get the money and the girls." I want to be the star, but you know that's it. Turns out that what that wasn't to be. But you know, <laughs> you're I just, a star I, I, to me. I just feel lucky. I feel lucky that I had a career and kind of behind the scenes because as a songwriter, you can kind of bounce along on other people's careers. Uh, and you know, if you're if you're the star, you kind of have your moment when people, you know, you know, you you, you get your fan base, and you you're having a you're having your your 15 minutes or your 15 years, whatever it is, and then it kind of goes away. But as a songwriter, you never get a huge peak, but you kind of get a little, you know, steady thing going. And you know, even in my 50s, I was writing with younger people, and then they would have a hit, and I would kind of. You know, I'd get to, I'd get to stick around. Yeah, you know, I love some it. of those some of those young people are gone. I'm with great, great guy, incredible hit songwriter Bob Regan. You're in the Mississippi Minute. Stand by. Most of the time. Thousands of Bulldog fans have subscribed to the Thunder and Lightning podcast. Have you? On each episode, Brian Haydad and Joel Coleman give you an inside look at your Mississippi State Bulldogs. The Thunder and Lightning podcast is free and available on demand at supertalk.fm and on your smartphone. Just search for Thunder and Lightning on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thunder and Lightning from Supertalk Mississippi. Covering the Bulldogs like no one else. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Steve Azar. We are with the fabulous Bob Regan. The guy spent many hours. First time I met him, he was doing a demo session and playing guitar on it. And I said, who in the heck plays that good? Because that was, that was my first time. So where, Bob, your humility is an amazing thing. It reminds me of both of my dads. Uh, and, uh, and they were so successful, I think, because of it. Um, and I just love hearing that. But when I've always really, really been blown away by your guitar playing but besides being so hooky it's just it's different and and also you you it's what pours out of your fingers comes from another place and i think it's from deep within do you think your guitar playing as do you think that it made a difference in your ability to become a a really uh, prolific songwriter don't you think that it mattered oh yeah sure absolutely because i was um i I wasn't really held back by my lack of ability to play guitar, and uh, I mean a, a lot of. And really, you shouldn't. If you can, if you got a melody in your head and you don't know how to play guitar, don't pick up the guitar. You'll end up dumbing down your melody. Just <laughs> you know, write, just sing what's in your head, and then hire a guitar player to figure it out. Uh, but in, in my case, it was you know, I, if I heard something, I could figure out an interesting way to you know, to make it work. And, and that would, I, I knew, you know, different chords and I was never, didn't do anything about music theory, but I just, I played in bands for so long. I just stood on stage and played the hit songs of the last 50 years. And some of that brothers in, you know, yeah. and so it, it was just, it was kind of second nature. If I had, um, if I had a melodic idea, for example, I could think of four or five different ways to, to play different chords underneath it to make it, try to sound different and make it sound like something I hadn't heard a million times before. Yeah. So that, yeah, it, it did, it definitely helped. But right. I will say this, just because you can play an instrument doesn't mean you can write a melody. No, 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 no. Yeah. And we've seen that. Well, we've seen that with bandmates and people that we played. Definitely. There's definitely something that has to be innate, I think. And, uh, and I think that that's yeah. one of the things that, yeah, you have to be sort of born with that. And obviously you can nurture mm-hmm. it and grow the ability you know, to pull from draw from within, but I, I still think that that's, that's one of the gifts you get yeah. and bestowed upon. Uh, and Beck, if anybody wants to be a songwriter and you're not a good, you are not a good instrumentalist, do not let that hold you back. Try to light, you know, use the recorder on your phone and sing into that without a guitar, without anything right. else. And then go to somebody that does play and say, hey, give me three different ways, three different approaches on how to put some, you know, backing underneath this melody. Yeah. You know, and don't give yeah. them any credit though for the song because oh, they, they didn't write it. No. They're musicians. Stiff them. Yeah, stiff them. Yeah. <laughs> stiff them. Hey, so Bob, your folks. Just I want to go back for a second. Your dad being a banker. Okay. I mean, you know, that's a that's a stable job. It's uh, it deals with, uh, you know, you're dealing with numbers which have to be perfect, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it's spreadsheets and it's all that versus a songwriter, heart, soul, all this, the gamble. You know, you're like a farmer. We're like farmers, you know? I mean, well, we're not yeah. nearly the gamble that a farmer gambles. But uh, but we, I always feel like that we're a little bit more like that. Obviously, more on that side than a banker. How did your parents feel about you pursuing? When they knew you had a mind, your mind was good in school, they knew you'd go get a master's and maybe follow the family tradition or something like it. You know, how, how did they, what was their take on it with you? Well, here's, and I'll have to preface that by saying, um, both my parents passed away 
when I was pretty young. My dad was, mm. he died when I was 18, and my mom died when I was in my early 20s. I didn't so know that. I'm sorry. They, no, they, well, they never, I wish they'd live long enough to see me uh, make something of myself, but they would have had to suffer through the 10 years yeah. <laughs> of me yeah. not making anything of myself. So that probably would have killed them. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> before uh, before I actually made any money doing this, but uh, so I'd I'd like to think they're looking down and uh, been able to see what I've done. Uh, but I'm, you know, I, I was a child of the '60s, and people don't really realize this unless they live to it. But society fractured right down the middle, and you were on one side or the other. You grew your hair and you know smoked a joint, or you did not. Now. And yeah. you kicked the ass of you, you know, you beat the crap out of the guys that did. And, yeah. you know, so me and my dad never, never went through that. But, you know, uh, going to college in the Northern California in the late 60s, I kind of, I veered off into playing guitar and growing my hair. And if my dad had lived another couple of years, me and him would have had it out big time. But yeah. if he'd have lived another 10 years uh, and met his grandkids and seen me actually, you know, write a few songs and made an impact, it would, would have all been good. Wow, I love it. I love it. Well, I mean, you know, you, your folks are just so important, you know. Then that was one of the reasons when we moved back. It's been one of the benefits and blessings to get to be around the block for my mom and dad. And, and you come in full circle for me, you know, um, and coming back home uh, after kids. Uh, it was, oh, yeah. It's so different. I mean, it's, it's almost like the whole place seems so different. It's like it, I didn't recognize it. You know, because you've just grown, you know, as a, as a human being, at least you hope. And, and mm-hmm. you, you don't get that till you, I really think until you become a parent, there's a, it's another lift. Uh, uh, it's just an advantage to people. Um, oh, sure. Well, you stop. Yeah, once, once it stops being about you, it exactly. starts being about your kids. And uh, <clears throat> my son, who's been pretty adventurous, and uh, he, I just had my first grandchild, uh, and he's been living out in San Diego, and they just uh, moved to Buenos Aires, Argentina, kind of on a lark. <laughs> but now he's uh, um, just because he can, back to the 11 moves. I think he's going to be up to 1,100 before he's done. Uh, but now he's talking about moving back to Nashville just because, you know, they got a grandkid, and they want to you know, yeah. be close to the grandparents and his sister and cousins. And, well, wait a minute. Uh, though, how is you know, your son? All, all that stuff matters. My son is 30. And so you've got a grandchild. He wants four. To- 34. Yeah. Okay, what's he doing? Is he creative, Bob? Yeah, well, kind of, sort of. He's He started a, a digital social media company with a buddy of his, and um, they were doing uh, just like social media engagement uh, for sports teams, and they hit on some formula, and they, you know, work for the almost all the NFL teams. Uh, wow. And, uh, the NBA, uh, Amazon, Netflix. Oh, uh, they, they just kind of knew how to works you know social media engagement and that's something i really know very little about yeah. but uh he so he's he's more like a big idea guy he doesn't like to get down there and get in the weeds he just likes thinking of stuff and getting other people on board so anyway he uh he just kind of they decided they wanted to live overseas for a little while and uh they figured well look, well little kennedy my granddaughter's just a toddler they figured well now's the time to do it once you get a kid in school you don't want to be yanking them around no so anyway, that, that's what he's doing. But yeah, he, he's doing good. I love it. That's fan. That unbelievable. I know you're proud of him, and and you've gotten to watch uh, watch all this happen. Which is you're you're not pulling your hair out. You're going all right. <laughs> yeah, but I will say, and and this is I, I'm can't I should know how old your kids are, but they're probably pretty old. But uh, the one thing he said to me because he watched me go from being just 
broke, you know, from yeah. going, you know, getting powder. You know, he can remember when we switched over from powdered milk to real milk. Uh, but he says, <laughs> yeah. you know, watching you follow your your heart and follow your dreams and, you know, bust your ass. You know, right. I, I, I witnessed our life firsthand go from, you know, a little house to a bigger house to a really nice house. And, uh, you know, I saw you become successful because you followed what you want. You did what you wanted to do. You busted your ass. But you said that was just a great model for me, you know, to be able to see that you, you can do that. Your kids, ultimately, they're going to they're gonna go their own path. I've known kids that have grown up in a horrible, horrible situation and come out fine and exactly the opposite. You know, some like yeah. some yeah, friends that, were, that had every advantage, and they went into the ditch. And yeah. so, yeah. you know, at some point, you can, you can create the rails for your kid. You can give them opportunities. You can love them and let them be who they're going to be. And, um, you know, we all, we all hope they're going to they're gonna make their own way in the world, but uh, that's... So, so far, so good. I'm knocking on wood. Not now. I'm, gonna, I'm worried about. I'm not worried about me. I'm not worried about my kids. I'm worried. I'm just want to make things right for my granddaughter. Yeah, now. I love it. <laughs> I love, that's the magic of your heart, buddy. So look, you know, I know that you've traveled the world. I know you, California and Nashville, but Mississippi's the birthplace of American music. So you get to play DJ, and I'm going to give you. Would you like to hear a little R.L. Burnside or B.B. King into the break? Well, absolutely. I've played and listened to. Countless hours of B.B. King. And that's it. We're talking to Fabulous, my, my brother, Bob Regan. It's been a while since we caught up. You're in a Mississippi Minute. Let's hear a little bit. Well, I'm free, free, free now. Hey team, are you or do you know an aspiring songwriter or artist that needs coaching and direction on how to navigate the music business? Do you have a corporate event, festival, or fundraiser that needs entertainment or event consulting? Let All Access Azar bring your vision to life and help you avoid the mistakes that can steer success off course. With access to my A to Z wealth of knowledge, expertise, and contacts in the entertainment business, my team and I are ready to help you help assess what your goals are and identify the steps to get there. I'll bring many years of expertise and network resources to help facilitate the success of your brand. To learn more about the wide range of services we offer, visit our website, aaazar.com that's aaazar.com fill out the form that fits your needs and we'll get back to you thanks a lot Fox on Tech. Amazon deliveries are going airborne to your door. The retail giant announced this week they'll soon begin to use drones to deliver packages directly to customers in the coming months. We're building fully electric drones that can fly up to 15 miles 
and deliver packages under five pounds to customers in under 30 minutes. Jeff Wilkie, Amazon's worldwide consumer CEO. Five pounds may not seem like much, but Amazon says that orders under that weight actually account for 75 to 90 percent of their current deliveries. The drones will take off and land vertically and will use computer vision and machine learning to navigate the skies and drop off packages without bumping into objects. From paragliders to power lines to the corgi in the backyard, The brain of the drone has safety covered. Amazon first announced the plans to use drones for deliveries in 2013, with the intent to have them take to the skies in five years. The project was delayed by regulatory hurdles. With Fox on Tech, I'm Brett Larson, Fox News. Whether you're a rebel, a bulldog, a golden eagle, or just a sports fan, Super Talk Mississippi has got a podcast for you. For you. Sports Talk Mississippi, The Rebel Report, Thunder and Lightning, The Super Talk Eagle Hour, and The Borky Show are all now available for you. And it's all free. Free. Get them all on demand at supertalk.fm and on your smartphone. Just search for Super Talk on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Not quite sure what's going on, but all day through and all night long, I've been thinking about you. I'm Steve Azar. We are with hit songwriter, Grammy, Dove, Hall of Fame, songwriter nominee. It's unbelievable. And you're so well-deserved, Bob Regan. Who still has a lot of hair, if I'm not mistaken. Bob, you still got your ponytail or did you shave your head? No, no, ponytail's gone. I, I, my hair is thinning out. I, I, a little tip to your listeners out there. Once your hair starts to thin, don't grow it out longer. Cut it, cut it shorter and look like you have more hair. I don't want to be that guy with a gray ponytail. And my, with my apologies to anybody out there that yeah. has one. <laughs> <laughs> Don Goodman, if he's listening. Hey, uh, yeah. Bob, okay, you moved to Nashville. Yes. Take me through, um, you get me to your first publishing deal. Mm-hmm. When it started to make a little sense, some of your mentors along the way uh, that, like you were one of mine, I mean, who were they? Well, just, I mean, for starters, <clears throat> I don't know that I had any, like, songwriting mentors because I was I was 35 years old, actually 36 when I got here. So nobody was looking at me like the young kid. I'd already had a record deal, and people kind of looked at me like I knew what I was doing, even though I didn't. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but I had some publishers who liked what I did and took a chance on me. A guy named Pat Finch, who was at uh, Dick James Music at the time, and he actually, this was so long ago that he found a, a cassette that I sent in the mail and listened to it and called me up. And we started a relationship, and that's what led to my first deal, a cassette through the mail. Listen, yeah. listen, kids. <laughs> this, this will not happen again in our lifetime. <laughs> They're going, what's a cassette? Um, yeah. So um, all, all I knew was that I didn't know if I was going to have any success. I told my wife at the time, and like I said, we had two little kids, and we were broke. I said, give me three years to write a hit. If I can write a hit. We'll stick around and see if I can write another one. If I cannot pull a rabbit out of the hat, we're getting out of here. I'm going to go back go back to school and be a civilian. I felt like that was, you know, I could drag myself around and even drag her around. But once I was dragging my kids around, right. Um, right. I owed it to them to have some kind of stability in their lives. Uh, but, yeah, there were uh, then another, after that deal went south, I had a couple of songs recorded. 
a woman named Karen Conrad, who I think you might have met. I was yeah. with her for like 15 years. Um, but really, it was uh, nobody really mentored me when I got here. It's like a lot of times, you you know, the guys five rungs up the ladder aren't going to come down and say, "Hey, let me give the new guy a lift." Yeah, you know, right. just on strictly a songwriting thing. Uh, so I had to meet up with other guys that just got to town, like <clears throat> like me. So I met, you know, and then in the first year, I met a lot of the people that ended up being my co-writers down through the years, and with whom I wrote a lot of hits. Uh, just because, you know, no no hot writers were going to, you know slow down and, and write with the new guys so us new guys had to band together i and, get uh, it you know, yeah that, that's why I'm, that's why i'm at our masters uh, george Tern, john besner a lot of the people that you know ended up doing doing some damage with wow okay so when we met in at the county queue <clears throat> on the, my first mm-hmm. session what uh were you doing a lot of guitar work then was just i mean how did how did the guitar work part i mean the demos and stuff start all right so uh what, what year would this have been? Been 91, uh, 92, oh, 91. something like that, 1993, okay. all that. So I did not come to Nashville to be a guitar player. I came to Nashville to put the guitar down and just be a songwriter because uh, I've worked in the clubs. But uh, anyway, there was a, the whole demo world in Nashville, which I didn't know existed until I got here. There are so many songwriters, and they would be, all be writing songs and, and that needed to be demoed, so there was like a, a whole class of musicians that were the, the demo guys there's the a team and they do all the records and then there's the b team and they play on all the demos so i was on the b team uh and so i was uh i was playing at county q even after i'd written three and four hits i was still taking calls to play demos on other people's records because this business is so full of vagaries uh that the, the, the choice was well bob you want to write a song this morning and there's a, a 500 to 1 chance it's going to be a hit and make you, you know, a, a nice chunk of change, or do you want to make 150 bucks before lunch playing guitar <laughs> for somebody else? So so I would, you know, get up and, and do a session, and then I would write a song. So I was I was doing both for a long time. I was, even I'd have, I'd have a number one song on the radio and show up the next morning to play on somebody else's demo just because it's so hard to get a hit. Every time I, I had one, I figured, well, this is probably the last. I don't want to you know, uh, I don't want to eliminate any source of income. And I was also playing on the ground old opera that whole time. Wow, I didn't know that. Uh, so I didn't know yeah, you were doing so it, that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, it, yeah, for uh, from the late 80s to like 95, every weekend I was out on the ground old opera. And then I finally, you know, figured, all right, enough already. I, I deserve weekends off. And, uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to be okay as a songwriter so I can... You know, just focus full time on that. <clears throat> but again, it's the, this business is so so unreliable that if you have a steady source of income, it, it's kind of a leap of faith to get rid of that. And it took me quite a while to get rid of all my other sources of income. Hey, Bob. So, first hit, real hit. Uh, it was a song uh, by Reba McIntyre. It was called "Till Love Comes Again." It got to number three, I think, on the charts. Which I was horrified, by the way, because she had just come off a huge hit with whoever's in New England. And uh, my song, you know, instead of rocketing to number one, stalled at number three. So I was I was mortified. I thought I'd throw, Let her down. Driven, a dag- <laughs> I'd driven a dagger into the heart of Reba McIntyre's career. Uh, but 
Yeah, that was um, that was my first hit, and I was uh, that that was right about the three year mark, and I was uh, really happy to have it because, uh, you know, then I said, okay, well, I'm going to stick around a little bit longer. When the checks uh, came but, pouring in, I mean, that like the, the the first ones that that actually had were well, substantial. Did you go woo? Well, a couple of interesting things. Right about the time my uh, first ex-wife, bless her little heart, uh, she uh, ran for it. Right about three years, uh, she you know. Uh, she had a boyfriend or two on the side. I found out later. Uh, and she didn't make the first check? She split it with me. Oh. Well, <laughs> and, and she deserved it. She followed me from Sacramento to L.A. and from L.A. to Nashville. And huh. She always she always believed in me. Uh, she believed in all the boyfriends. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, so I, I, that was not a that was a peak experience and a and the depths of despair all rolled into one. But what I was meant to say <clears throat> was back then songs did not pay that much money. Um, just for that song, top five, and there were I had two writers on that. I made my songwriter share was twenty five thousand dollars. What? And yes, but that was normal back in the eighties. That was. Yeah, maybe I think I might have made thirty thousand all in. But if you're at, at this point, I was thirty eight years old with two little kids, yeah. and my songwriter my songwriter draw was a hundred and fifty dollars a week. Right. So I mean, I had a year that I made maybe thirty five thousand dollars, and I thought, holy crap, man, I've arrived. Yeah. But uh, so people think, man, you rich people in the music business, no. But what did happen? And uh, <clears throat> you can write this down. Garth Brooks with Garth Brooks hit. Uh, in about late 80s, 90, all of a sudden, everything changed. There were so many people heard Garth and came to the country format and started listening. The uh, album sales went quadrupled. The amount of money you could make on a single quadrupled within two years. Was that because uh, there were more stations turning into country, right? Yep. Converted. More stations. Yeah, yeah more stations. Uh, you know, uh, it went from being kind of a small, isolated format to... You know, every big city had a country station from New York to Los Angeles to, and so all of us. And I, I give Garth Brooks about eighty percent of that credit because I agree. when he sh- when he showed up, things just went through the roof for about fifteen years. I'm with great, great guy, incredible hit songwriter Bob Regan. You're in the Mississippi Minutes. Yeah. Want to know what's happening with your Ole Miss Rebels? Get insights and analysis from Brian Scott Rippey and Colin Brewster on each episode of the Rebel Report Podcast. You'll get the inside track on Ole Miss Athletics. The Rebel Report Podcast is free and available on demand at supertalk.fm and on your smartphone. Just search for Rebel Report on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. The Rebel Report Podcast from Supertalk Mississippi. Better than finding an open parking spot on the square. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We are with the fabulous Bob Regan. Uh, Bob, when you wrote Soon, um, did you feel like with Tanya Tucker's, and especially with Tanya, she had a lot of, it, I loved it because Mark Allen Springer, Two Sparrows and a Hurricane, Soon. I mean, those were songs that in her career as a, a recording artist, she really needed and uh i know you see it both ways i mean it was great for her to do it and everything but as an artist getting older right guy girl yeah. whatever unless you're george Strait, i mean it's pretty much you gotta 
you got to have a great song. When you wrote Soon, did you feel it was a great song? Well, I, let me say, when, when I heard her sing it, it knocked me out. And I, it came out of nowhere because I didn't even know the song was going to get recorded. So here's the thing. As a songwriter, I would get up every day and I would try to write the best song I could. And Casey Kelly had the, the first little bit of that hook. Soon, I'll be free to be with you soon. I'll be yeah. telling you know who. And we hammered that song out. And it was, it was, we spent a lot of time on that song. It was kind of complex. And I'm, I worked on it hard, but here's the funny thing. My publisher, I mentioned before, Karen Conrad, I brought that song to her. She liked almost everything I did. And I played that song for her. And she just said, I just don't like that. I don't think anybody's going to want to hear a song about a woman that's having an affair. And you know what I did? I said, you know what? You're right. <laughs> Let's put that one on the back burner. And I just kind of, you know, flung the cassette on the floorboard of my car with 30 or 40 others and got up the next day and wrote another song. And fortunately, my co-writer, Casey Kelly, um, yeah. went ahead and pushed it. And then they found, you know, they played it for Tanya Tucker. And she said, whoa, this is great. So the first time I heard the song after my horrible little work tape on the cassette was that full-blown production with her singing. And I went, oh, man, this is great. So uh, for many years uh, up to the present day, I rubbed Karen Conrad's face on that one. Yeah, did she, she I was about to say, did she say, I told you, Bob, that it was a great song? <laughs> no, no. She, she doesn't have much of a sense of humor about this, but I don't think she listens to Mississippi radio, so I can yeah. tell the story. <laughs> I love <laughs> it. Women, women, women don't like to be wrong. Steve. No, 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 yeah. no. My wife, Gwen, has never, she's never been wrong. It's unreal. She's, she's batting a thousand. It's unbelievable. She's undefeated, you know? You know, that's <laughs> yeah. the way it goes. Yep. Hey, uh, we both know as songwriters, we both know the fix, what it does for us when yeah. we're feeling like, you know, what, that's the reason we write. And so for you to be able to go into such a real story and, and, and it's, it, it helps, I know that it helps mend them. I know in some little way it puts a Band-Aid on something, one of their scars. Oh, it does. Well, that's the thing about, you know, just back to the songwriting in general, if, if there's something bad happens in your life, it's like a lot of people just put a Band-Aid on it and then start drinking to numb the pain. Yeah. Uh, but if you're a songwriter, you're rinsing out that wound and you're shining sunlight in there and you're disinfecting that thing. You're writing all that you know bad stuff that happened or something you can't figure out. You're going to write songs about it until yeah. you can make it make some sense. Right. Uh, and, the, you know, the good stuff that happens, you can celebrate it, you can capture all those little moments of your life. But, you know, a lot of the, you know, most people, and certainly not the military community, they've, they haven't done that. And, you know, especially if, if you've been through a traumatic experience or <clears throat> an injury and, you know, your, all your thoughts and emotions are scrambled, again, the process of songwriting just kind of can lay things out, you know, in an orderly fashion. And But using their words, we're not trying to say, all right, veterans you watch me i'm gonna you know i'm yeah. gonna tell your story you see you get the lines from them you say well what is tell me more about that how does that feel wow. you know where were you i need i need something that rhymes with e would just kind of start talking i'm gonna come up with something you said and make it rhyme so the, the more interactive the better but if you go listen to some of these songs i, I think you'd be impressed yeah, so operationsong.org yeah operationsong.org right, everybody we're gonna have a lot of people going to do that all right bob um you you know it's funny you just make me think about it. yeah let's take away the arts from kids in school let's make that be the first thing you take away and uh, that, that makes a lot of sense right <laughs> I mean, and, and and Reese and recess yeah Work yeah them to sit still and study for the test coming yeah, up yeah yeah exactly hey we've been talking to Bob Regan so Bob just just rapid fire 
Uh, Trisha Yearwood's uh, Thinking About You. You wrote with Tom Shapiro, right? Uh, Shapiro, Shapiro. Yes. Oh, sorry about that. Tommy, I'm sorry. Don't I've always called him Shapiro, like well, DePiro. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know why, but the, he's, he's Shapiro. Yes, I actually wrote that song, and I was just I'll back up a little bit. I was talking about all the you know horrible stuff songwriters write about, and I went through that horrible divorce, and I wrote all kinds of songs about it, which I thought were pretty amazing, but nobody else did. But once I started dating again, uh, and I would capture that intoxicating little moment of uh, potential at the beginning of a relationship when mm-hmm. you think you can, might kind of like somebody, I would write about that, and people ate it up with a spoon. <laughs> right. <laughs> and thinking about, thinking about you was, was one of those. I love it. I met this girl, and I found I was thinking about her, and I said, I told Tom, I said, this song title's probably been written before. It doesn't mean anything. It's just this little, let's just see if we can catch that little glimmer of optimism in a new relationship. Yeah. And uh, turns out that that was a Trisha had just met uh, Robert from the Mavericks, who she went on to marry. And she heard the song and said, that's exactly what I'm doing with, with Robert. So wow. as a songwriter, note to, note to your listening audience, write what you feel, and somebody else is going to feel it too. I love it. Well, Ty Herndon, Terry Clark, Billy Ray Cyrus, Wade <laughs> Hayes, James Bonamy, Lisa Brokop, Rick Trevino. I mean, the list, Keith Urban, the list goes on and on. Your success has been uh, a journey uh that's just a beautiful thing and i know you look back on it and and where you are in your life and you're at peace and i love what you're doing with your creative mind now and it's uh as as the bob regan i've always known uh the humility and the humbleness uh i love the fact that you're sharing this with our soldiers and and their families and the impact that it's going to make on them will be vast my brother i appreciate you spending a mississippi minute with your old pal here I'm Steve Azar, in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.